Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Wow, if I kick these off, I'm sorry, I don't mean to. Uh, I want to kind of highlight something just for a moment before we jump into the message. And and that is our small groups because it kind of fits into what we've already seen. That's like a small group for children uh, that took place uh, and was taking place. And the one this spring will take place while we are having uh, our adult small groups also. Uh, So the sign-ups are taking place. There's a table outside, downstairs, and upstairs. You can go and read the various topics, the various locations, the uh, you know the uh, the nights, the time that they're meeting, and, and sign up. And here's something I want to remind you guys: because you were already in the small group last time, we still want you to sign up this time so we can plan. You know, we need to know for sure how many showing up. Be sure we got the right amount of materials and things like that. Uh, so by looking at the list out there, it looked like. You know, I know a, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, I went last time. They know I'm coming. Well, we, we need to really, really know you're coming. So please sign up so we will uh, be able to plan for that when we get ready to launch our uh, small groups here in a couple of weeks. We're in a series that we've called Jesus. We're just trying to uh, spend time between Christmas and Easter, uh, focusing upon various aspects of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We start out talking about Jesus being the creator, because uh, it's important for us to recognize that, not just a baby in a manger. We were talked about Jesus being Emmanuel, which means God with us, and that's an amazing truth that God would care that much to send his son into this world so we can fully identify with him, because he fully identified with us. And it's through him being the God man that God's grace is fully provided for us to where through Jesus and through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can experience God's grace in a great way. We talked last week about Jesus being our friend, and I think sometimes we may struggle with that because we think, well, that almost sounds unholy for me to refer to Jesus as my friend, and yet the Bible clearly pictures him as being a friend, being a likable type person, and how we need to uh, emulate that in our own lives also. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about Jesus being our example and our in our teacher. So I know we got a lot of our kids uh, in here, and I'm sorry if I made you instantly feel like you're in school, uh, you know, tomorrow or something because of me using the word teacher. But the Bible clearly talks about you know Jesus being our example and our teacher. But will you listen really closely to something before I go into talking about Jesus being an example and Jesus being a teacher? And here's why I'm asking you to listen really, really close. There are some people in the world and have been for years and years and years, ever since Jesus was here on the earth, that view Jesus as only, only being an example. And people say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good example. Jesus was a good teacher, and and we ought to follow that example in, in everything. So, you know, is Jesus, was Jesus, is Jesus a, a great example? Yes, he's the greatest example and teacher that's ever existed. But we need to understand one thing. You and I cannot redeem ourselves by following the example of Jesus. 
I can't save myself by saying, all right, Jesus did this, so I'll do it. Jesus did that, so I'll do it. Jesus did this, so I'll do it. And somehow by us modeling the lifestyle of Jesus, we assume that we'll be good enough somehow to get into heaven. It doesn't work like that. Jesus did come as a great example, but his main purpose in coming was to live that sinless, perfect life die on the cross in my place and your place, shed his blood for our sins to make the full final payment for our sin debt so that through faith in him, we can have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. So I'm going to talk about Jesus being an example, but I wanted to prelude that, but you clearly understand then, yeah, Jesus is a great example, but that's not the way you get to heaven. You get to heaven by trusting in the fact that he came as our perfect sacrifice on the cross. Everybody got that? So, so let's talk some then about, uh, about Jesus. Guys, we've got something going on with the mic this morning. I apologize. We had it happen once or twice in the, uh, in the first service. So maybe it will get to where it's not doing that. If not, then I will have to grab a handheld somewhere. Um, let's, uh, let, let's talk about Jesus being, being our example and, and being our teacher. Did it go away completely? Okay. If I just if I just had a uh, a nice handkerchief up here, I could be really Pentecostal today, you know. While, while I'm talking. But uh, let, let's let, let's talk about Jesus being our uh, our example. Some strategic information uh, about Jesus being our example and our teacher. Here's the first piece of strategic information about that. God has an expectation. God has an expectation for us as Christ followers to be like Jesus. In other words, it's God's will. He, he wants us as Christ followers. Guys, I, I've grown to where I like that terminology better than just saying Christian because I, I think so many times people just use that tag Christian in our culture, uh, and it kind of means the same thing. But because we are Christ followers, he wants us to have the example of Jesus, to live out the example of Jesus, to be more and more like Jesus in our lives. So, so I want you to imagine something with me just for a minute. I, I want you to think about what if for at least one day your life could be totally replaced by the life of Jesus. In other words, his heart becomes your heart. His attitude becomes your attitude. His actions become, and I'm talking totally to where for that 24 hours, everything you did and everything you said and all the attitudes you had were exactly like Jesus, what would your life be like? Would it change some? Would the people you work with notice a change? Would your husband or wife or your kids notice a change? Would you maybe feel better about yourself? Uh, about the attitudes that you're having and, and the way you're living your life in, in that day, with, with the way you spend your time change in that day, if all of a sudden, completely, totally, the heart of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, the action of Jesus, that that was totally your life. I would submit to you all of us would have a radical change. Some more than others, but it would still be radical. Now, now the reason I wanted you to get that picture in your mind is this. What I just asked you to think about in your mind is actually what God wants for you. 
It's actually what God wants for your life. He wants you and I to become more and more and more like Jesus. God has an expectation on us as the followers of Christ to be like him. God wants us to think like Jesus, to, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to you know, have the attitudes of Jesus. Now, let me reinforce this with some scriptures, and then we're going to look at a list of examples from the life of Jesus that probably all of us need to follow. Philippians 2 verse 5 tells us this. Have this mind, in other words, the way you think, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, he's talking about the mind of Christ. And we're to have that kind of mind, that kind of attitude. And it's available to us, it says, in Christ. That same verse in the NIV goes like this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, having said that, please don't go home, wives or husbands, either one, and remind your spouse this week, hey, 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 your attitude is supposed to be like Jesus. <laughs> that might not be the way to put it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, here's what Paul said. Be imitators of me as, as I am of Christ. So Paul's not saying, hey, follow me because I'm the apostle Paul. He, he said, I want you to imitate me only to the degree that I imitate Christ. So he's really talking about imitating Jesus. And, and guys, when you think about it, we, we'll see, you know, movie star do it, trying to act a role or comedians or whatever, trying to you know, imitate someone else. And, and when you look at it, even if maybe they're making fun of someone, they wouldn't be making fun of that person if everybody didn't know who they were. So it's a form of flattery. And the highest flattery maybe that you and I can do is not just show up at church and not just sing a song and not just read our Bible and pray every now and then. The highest flattery that we can have for Jesus is to imitate him in our lives because of what he's done for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in the second part of verse 2, the Bible says, As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner, of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's telling us as believers, instead of us living the same way, putting the same old self on all the time. Yeah, guys, we ho hopefully you change clothes every now and then during the week. You know, once or twice, that's good. And most of us do that daily. And I think that gives us an image in our mind. Daily, we're supposed to be reminding ourselves, hey, the old person that I was, there's still a little bit of that clinging on my life. I need, to, I need to consciously put that off. I need to be consciously putting that off. And just like we dress every day to go out and face the world, we need to consciously in our mind have that as a goal. Hey, I'm going to put on Jesus. I'm going to put on the attitude of Jesus, the action of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus. I'm going to put on Jesus. And as I go out to face my world, I'm going to put on Jesus. And I'm just saying all that to give us a, a kind of a basic understanding up front that the stuff we're talking about, following Jesus as an example and letting Jesus be our teacher, it's not just a good idea. It's an expectation that God has for our lives if we're Christ followers, if we're believers. So the second strategic information I'm going to give you today is, is, is this. We're going to look at some examples. Oh, it's not an exhaustive list. That would be impossible to do, I think. But we're going to look at some examples from the life of Jesus 
that we ought to follow, that we should be following in, in our lives. Just a sample list. Before I jump into those samples, those examples, Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That simply says that God knew you in advance. God saw you in advance in eternity. He predestined you in advance to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I understand one day when we go home to be with Jesus and Jesus comes back, that's going to happen in an instant. We're not going to be conformed. We're going to be transformed to be completely like him. But even though that's going to happen eventually, I think God's goal is this for us. He wants day by day for you and I to be more and more conformed to the image of his son. So that's why we're going to look at some of these examples because these examples give us maybe some ideas about how we can be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. So I'm going to walk through these examples fairly quickly, I hope. The example of obedience to start with. The example of obedience. Jesus, yes, he's God in the flesh, but he was obedient to, to the Father. Jesus said this in John five nineteen, the second part of the verse. For whatever the Father does... That the son does likewise. Yes, he's, he's God, but he's God in the flesh. And he's saying, hey, whatever my father does, that's what I do. Guys, that's a good model for us. Whatever God wants us to do, that's what we ought to be trying to do. Jesus said this in John five thirty, As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Once again, even though Jesus is God in the flesh, he's saying, I'm not seeking my will. I'm seeking the will of the Father who sent me. By the way, I hadn't planned on being here today, but the news this week, kind of something hit the news, forced this a little bit. Wasn't planned in the sermon, not in my sermon notes. You can come look if you want to. But Jesus said, whatever he judges is just. You see, what we judge ought to be just too. God help the state of New York. To vote in being legal, late-term abortion all the way into the ninth month. That's not the just judgment of God. That's not the word of God. Our judgment needs to be just ourselves. Jesus modeled obedience, so we need to, to model obedience. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus said this, or the Bible tells us this about Jesus. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane in this verse. And going a little farther, he, talking about Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why is he saying that? Because Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that he's going to be arrested. He knew he's going to be beaten and abused and suffer and go up on the cross and be lifted up. He had already told that. He knew what was coming. And he's saying, God, if there's any way possible that you can do it a different way other than this and let this cup pass from me, then please do that. But notice what he said. He said, but not my will, but yours be done. That needs to be our attitude as Christ followers that, that we follow the Father's will in obedience because Jesus set that example. Jesus also said the example of humility, of humility. We, we read the second part of John 5, 30 a moment ago. The first part of the verse says this. Jesus, remember who he is, God in the flesh. But Jesus still said this, I can do nothing on my own. He, he didn't strut around saying, I'm God in the flesh. Look what all I can do. He said, I can't do anything on my own because he and the Father were one. 
In humility, in that statement, he's pointing to the Father. In Philippians 2, verse 3 through 8, we find these words. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind, we read that a few minutes ago, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he didn't think he had to pridefully hold on to that. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Here comes the the, the reference to humility again. He, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was willing to face that humility for us. And if our Savior was willing to humble himself in that way, guys, we need to follow his example of humility. We need to model humility in our own lives. Jesus gives us the example of prayer also. I mean, if you look at the life of Jesus, he prayed before he ate. He, he prayed for children. He prayed to heal people. He, you know, he, he prayed uh, early in the morning. He prayed all night. Sometimes we've got all kinds of examples of, of Jesus praying in the Bible. So think about this. Once again, remember who he is. says he's the one that's the son of God, the second person of the triune God. He's the one that spoke creation into existence. If he saw the value and the need to commune with his father in that way and to pray in that way, what should we do? Jesus set an example of prayer for us to where we ought to to pray also. Here's some verses to support that. Mark 1, it says, And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Early in the morning, Jesus is up praying. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and what does it say there? All night he continued in prayer to God. You know, if we just look at that in the flesh, we think, well, but he is God. So why in the world would he go stay up all night to pray to his father? Because he's setting an example for us how important that communion with the father is. He understood it himself, the the need to do that. James chapter 4 and verse 2 tells us this in verse 3. You have not because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it. To your own passions. In other words, a lot of the things that maybe God wants to do for us, we're not asking. And we spend a lot of our time asking for the wrong stuff, and that's why we don't get it. Let me talk right directly to the children for a minute. I know your I know your 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 parents, I'm looking around, your parents have you busy with a phone and looking down and draw and everything like that. Let me talk to the children a minute and uh, and everything, includes the teenagers and uh, and everything too. I know I'd get one of those before it's over with. Have you ever asked your parents for something? All the children. Look, look this way a minute. Have you ever asked your parents for anything? You ever called, went and told your parents you wanted, you wanted something? Any of you? Huh? Any of you? And all? If you had not asked them, you might not have ever. And I'm not saying you got it because you asked. Okay, I'll deal with that in a minute. But if you had never asked them, you probably may not ever got it because you, they wouldn't have known. Huh? Now, that's not a good picture of prayer because the Father already knows what we need. But he still wants us to ask him. 
Sometimes your parents won't get it because they know it's something you don't need. But still, it's important to confide in your parents. It's important to talk to your parents. It ought to feel good always or where you feel like you can go to your parents and you can tell your parents anything. And guys, the, the reason I'm talking to children about that, yes, that part's for the children, but it's for all of us. That's the way we ought to feel about our Heavenly Father. We can talk to Him about anything. We can share anything with Him. He already knows anyway. So, hey, go ahead and be transparent. If it's a sin, admit it's a sin. If it's something you need, tell Him. He, he already knows. But Jesus spent time in prayer, so we ought to spend time in prayer. Jesus also set the example of rest slash worship. And the reason I'm combining those things together in that day and time in Jesus' earthly ministry, there's this thing called the Sabbath. I still hear people today referring to Sunday as the Sabbath. Listen real closely. Today is not the Sabbath. Yesterday was a Sabbath Saturday. And it was designed to be a day of rest. We worship on Sunday for this reason. Jesus took his life back up. That's why the Christian church worships together on Sunday. And as far as the Sabbath goes, the Bible also tells us this. Jesus Christ himself is our Sabbath. Jesus is my rest. I can rest in him. Jesus is my worship. I can worship in him. But I want you to see the example that Jesus set. Because if God in the flesh needed rest, I'm just assuming we need rest. And if God in the flesh went to worship, I'm assuming that's something good for us to do, for us to have worship in, in our lives also. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his, what's the word there? Custom, habit. What he did all the time. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So even though he is God, he still had a custom of worship. And guys, Jesus modeled that for us. That, that's why it's important for us to, to get together and worship. It ought to be even restful for us to worship and come and think about all that, that Christ has done for us. Jesus also set this example. He set the example of honesty. He set the example of moral purity in his life. Never, ever said anything that was wrong. Never, ever committed a sin. Jesus completely set a, an example of purity. He never lied. He, he never cheated on a test in school. Never sinned. I want you to look what Isaiah said about Jesus in prophecy. And they made his grave with the wicked... And with a rich man in his death, although he, and this is referring to Jesus, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The New Century Version puts it like this. He had done nothing wrong and had never lied. Now, I understand we're not Jesus. I understand we're human. And I understand we slip and we fall. But our target, our goal ought to be modeling Jesus. It ought to be following the examples of Jesus. And Jesus lived a, a life of honesty and moral purity. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us this. For our sake, he, talking about God the Father, made him, Jesus, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A lot of people refer to that as the greatest trade that's ever taken place in history. Some of you think, hey, I got a good car trade the other day. You just think you did. You don't know how the car industry works. You know? That's a previous car salesman over there said that. <laughs> or, or you think you've traded for this, you've traded for that, and you got a really good trade. And I'm not saying you can't get good trades and things in life, but hey, the best trade, the very best trade that's ever taken place in history and ever will take place is this. Jesus took our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. But it tells us that he had not sinned. Why? Because he lived a life of honesty and, and more purity. Guys, I, I know we're sinners. I know we're going to fall. I know we're going to slip. But, but our target, our goal ought to be, hey, hey Jesus didn't lie. Maybe I, I need to try and keep from doing that. You know, Jesus lived a moral life. I, I need to try and, try and live a moral life. Not so you can be saved, but because you are saved. Jesus also set this example. Jesus set an example of tearing down social, racial, and religious barriers. Of tearing down social, racial, and religious barriers. I'm not going to read any verses. I'm just going to allude to some stories there. Remember the story of the woman at the well? Remember she was of a different nationality, different race. The Jews looked down on her because she was in Samaria. Remember what her reputation was. She had a, a bad reputation because she had been married five times and now the guy she's living with now, shacking up with now, is not, you know, wasn't, wasn't her husband or anything like that. So she had this bad reputation. That's why she was going to the well at some time other than the re- time the rest of the ladies would be there because she didn't want to be looked down on and, and, and gossiped about and, and everything. See, this woman, she had the wrong reputation. She was of the wrong race as far as the Jews were concerned. Max Locato in his book said that the Jews would not even drink milk if they knew a Gentile hand had squoze the milk out of the cow or the goat. That's pretty racist, isn't it? Wouldn't eat food if they knew a Gentile had prepared the food. She was of the wrong reputation. She had the wrong race, part of the wrong race, and she was part of the wrong religion because she was there in Samaria practicing kind of a perverted version, twisted version of Judaism in that day. But you know what? Jesus made it a point to go see her. It didn't just happen by accident. Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. Jesus made a point. It was on his calendar. It was on his eternal schedule to go and meet this woman because he was going to break down social and racial and religious barriers. Jesus went to see her. He did it in other ways. Lepers in that day and time would be the equivalent maybe of AIDS today. People were afraid to be around them, afraid to touch them or anything like that. They, they were made to 
give a notice to other people, unclean, unclean, and stand off in the distance and let people know, don't come near us because we're lepers. But you know what? Jesus received them and healed them. Jesus broke a lot of barriers, social barriers that existed in that day and time. We talked last week about Matthew being the tax collector and, and, and how Jesus received sinners and ate with sinners and tax collectors and, and other things. Jesus broke a lot of social and racial and religious barriers. Guys, I'm just telling you that if you're a Christian, you ought to do the same thing. God forbid that any of us as Christians would ever be racist. God forbid that we would ever just turn someone away because of the color of their skin or think different of them because of the color of their skin. God forbid that we cannot practice forgiveness and try and reach out to someone who had a bad reputation. God forbid that we can't do something to cross over religious lines in order to really reach people for Christ. Jesus set an example in that for us by, by tearing down, by, by tearing apart all kinds of barriers when he was here in his earthly ministry. Jesus also did this. He set an example in priorities, in priorities. Can I ask you a question real quick? I doubt this has ever happened, but I want to ask you anyway. Has there ever, ever been a time in your life, ever, when someone else wanted to set the agenda for your life? Someone else wanted to set the agenda for your schedule. Somebody else wanted to tell you exactly, you know, you do this, don't do this, do this, don't do You ever had time that you experienced that? Do you realize Jesus experienced that too? Did you know that? He did. Let's look at some examples of it and see how Jesus dealt with it. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 through 43. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. In other words, here's their agenda. Here's their priority. Jesus, you got to stay with us and keep doing miracles for us and keep doing stuff for us. But he, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. The other people had an agenda. You've got to stay here. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not listening to you. I've got another purpose. I've got other priorities I've got to take care of. Here's a, and, and, and after Jesus, there, here's another example of it, by the way, in, in, in chapter 6. Um, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him their king. Here's why. Jesus had just fed them really good. Free food. Man, he just took those loaves and fishes and man, he just multiplied them. Jesus is a walking grocery store. So, so he, he's perceiving they're getting ready to come and, and, and make him king by force. The Bible says Jesus withdrew again up to a mountain by himself. Now, twice there alluded to Jesus pulling away in a solitaire like I talked about when he was praying. Now, I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to talk through it. But while he's up there praying, he put his disciples in a boat to row to the other side. And they were facing, you know, contrary winds and waves, and, and, and they weren't making any progress. They were out there rolling, 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 not making any progress. So Jesus comes walking to them on the water. He's up there in the mountain praying, watching, knows what's going on. Comes walking to them on the water. The minute they receive him into the boat, guys, this is kind of mind-blowing stuff. This is what the Bible says. Instantly, the boat was ashore. 
So you've got the first speedboat in history. And by the way, there's a lesson there for us, I think. If you're having trouble making progress in your life, maybe invite Jesus on board and let him drive your life and everything, and you'll make better progress than you've ever had trying to do it on your own. So they, they wind up at the shore, and pick back up in the story. So, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, they come looking for him, wanting more free food. Nor his disciples... They themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? In other words, hey, we saw the boats leave. You weren't on them. How in the world did you get over here? Because we know he's walking on the water. Look what Jesus says to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They weren't seeking Jesus because of who he was. They were seeking Jesus because of what they can get. We want another free meal. We want more bread. We want more fishes. That's why Jesus left because he perceived they were going to take him and try and make him to be their king. Now, I want you to notice how strange, how anti-culture it is today what Jesus does. Today, someone will think, oh, man, this crowd loves me. I'll do some more tricks for them. Hey, you guys go get somebody else. Go bring your friends and everything. And, and hey, go ahead and make me king, and we'll all hang out together. That's what someone would do today, probably, most people. You know what Jesus did? He put the possibility of that type of theme in his rearview mirror, and he drove on to the priorities that God the Father had for him. Jesus set a goal for priorities. So we, we need to follow the priorities that God has for our lives instead. Don't let this world set the agenda for your life. Hollywood will try and do it. Our culture will try and do it. Everything going on in our world, it would love to set the agenda for your life. But as Christ followers, our agenda is to be set by Jesus. We're to follow his priorities. Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it said, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, will you notice what it says about him there? He set his face to go to Jerusalem. You know what that means? You understand what it's saying? When the day was coming for him to be taken up, nailed on the cross, put on the cross, I might thought, hey, I'm going to go the other way. I don't think I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because he sets us an example of following the priorities of the Father in his life. One, one last example, and then we're going to move on to uh, one thing, to one thing that Jesus taught, the main thing that Jesus taught, and we're done. Jesus also set an example in focus slash purpose. Now, you might be thinking, well, hey, that's the same thing as priorities. Well, not completely because they, they are really similar, but you can have priorities and still lose focus. You, you can have priorities and, and still give up on your purpose. The, the writer of Hebrews encourages us to look at Jesus as the example of keeping focus and purpose. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, 
See, that's to be our focus. Not our culture, not what everybody else wants us to do. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is to be our example. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith or the finisher of our faith. He planned it. He carried it out. He went to the cross. He died for us. He took his life back up. He's walking around. He's, he's, he's God for all eternity. Kind of sounds like maybe we ought to look at him a little bit, you know? Who for the, this blows me away, guys. Who for the joy set before him <laughs> endured going on a nice vacation in the Bahamas. What does it say? For the joy set before him endured the cross. It was a joy for him to fulfill the focus and the purpose of his father. For the joy he endured the cross for us, scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. We're told to consider him, to consider Jesus. If you want to understand how to have a focus and purpose in your life, consider Jesus. You won't find the way to have a focus and purpose in your life through your favorite sports team or sports hero or movie star or whatever it might be. You need to consider Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to be honest. How many of you ever grow weary? I'm even talking about your faith. Be honest. You grow weary and you lose heart. Huh? Be honest. I can't number the times. As a pastor, you get to walk in and out of experiences with people and, and things like that. Over 35 years I've been in the, in the ministry, I've probably, you know, 35 years, uh, I don't know, uh, times 100, uh, I've probably thought about quitting the ministry 30, 34, 3,500 times. You know why I didn't? Because I had to consider him. I had to consider him what he endured. And as I consider him what he endured, I need to recognize, hey, I don't have a reason in the world to grow weary and lose heart. That's the way we can keep our focus and our purpose is by staying focused on Jesus, on his examples. He, for the joy, endured the cross. I want to close real quickly by, by talking about the most important lesson that Jesus taught. The most important lesson that Jesus taught, that was taught by Jesus. Originally, until the, the, the snow had a different idea, or maybe God had a different idea through the snow, originally I would talk about an example one Sunday, teacher the next Sunday. But those two things are really similar. You know, example, a mentor, a teacher. So, I, you know, uh, I, I felt they just roll them into one. And only talk about the most important thing that Jesus taught. Some of you are teachers. Some of you have been teachers. Some of you know what it is to lay out a lesson plan and everything. The most important lesson plan on the teaching schedule of Jesus is simply this. Be ready. Be ready. That's his most important message. Be ready. The very first sermon that Jesus gave, the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he talked about. He called upon people to make a choice between building their lives on the rock or building their house on the sand. He, he talked about people going through the right gate 
going through this narrow gate or going through a, a wide gate that most people were going through. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. Jesus, in his first sermon on the mount, talked about people missing heaven. Listen to what he said in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? In other words, hey, look what I've done, look what I've done, look what I've done. You don't get to heaven on what you've done. Then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Jesus, even though we don't like to talk about it in our culture, Jesus talked about the reality of heaven. He talked about the reality of hell, two completely different destinations. The very first message that Jesus preached dealt with being ready. You know what the very last message was that he preached. I'm talking about the last like sermon that he did. I'm not talking about things he said on the cross and, and all like that, but the last kind of like official sermon that, that Jesus preached. He talked about being ready. All we've got time for is just an overview. Jesus talked about one being taken and another left when he returns in Matthew 24, 36 through 44. Jesus talked about wise and foolish servants, one who was busy serving the master and one who wasn't and wasn't ready. In Matthew 24, 45 through 51, Jesus talked about 10 bridesmaids, five who are ready. They had oil in their lamps that represents the Holy Spirit and five who were not ready when the bridegroom came and they weren't ready and they couldn't go. In Matthew 25, 1 through 13, Jesus talked about three servants. All this is in one sermon that he's given. Jesus talked about three servants who were given money by their master to invest for him. Two of them used the money to expand the master's influence. One hid it and didn't do anything to expand the master's influence. And he was ashamed whenever the master came back. Jesus then goes on to talk about the final judgment where the sheeps and the goats are separated forever. All this is part of the same sermon in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm only going to read verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. And he's talking about the goats there. Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus, great example, amen? And Jesus taught a whole lot of stuff, guys, and there's no way we could fully expound upon that, but we need to get, you need to get, you need to be sure you know that the most important sermon, the most important thing that Jesus ever taught was this. He started out his ministry talking about being ready. He closed his ministry talking about being ready. Jesus ought to be our example. God expects us to become more and more and more like Jesus. We ought to let him be our example and try and follow the example of Christ.
In many ways, Jesus gives us clear examples how we ought to live our lives. He, we ought to obey like Jesus, be humble like Jesus, pray like Jesus, rest and worship like Jesus, practice honesty and morality like Jesus, break down relational walls like Jesus, stay focused on upon God's priorities and purposes like Jesus. And we're to do those things. Be sure you understand this. We're to do those things not to earn salvation, but because Jesus has already given you salvation. We're supposed to try and follow those examples. But as the worship team comes out and we get ready to do this thing in churches that we call an invitation. And I know a lot of times churches, even us, and we'll use churchy words and terminology. And if you've never been in church much, you might be thinking, well, what's an invitation? You know, you get invitations to go to parties. You get invitations to go to weddings and, and everything. That's kind of really what it is. Jesus is going to throw a big wedding one day. He wants you to be there. The invitation is for you to respond However, God may be convicting you in your heart, influencing you in your heart this morning, you need to respond. Maybe you as a believer this morning, maybe you recognize you've not been following the example that you need to. And we just had a partial list, guys, of examples. I didn't even touch forgiveness. Didn't say one thing about forgiveness. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Man, we ought to practice forgiveness. But maybe as a believer, some of those examples I talked about, maybe you're struggling with. Why not during this invitation pray and ask God to help you with that struggle? Pray where you are. If you need to come and kneel, come and kneel and pray about God helping you to be more of the example that Jesus wants you to be. But the most important thing this morning, I want you to ask yourself as we do this thing called an invitation, is simply this. Are you ready? Ask yourself that, am I ready? Do I know for sure without any doubt that I've trusted Christ as Savior? Am I ready? If I were to die, if Jesus were to come back, am I ready? That's the most important message Jesus ever taught, to be ready. And he's done everything necessary for you to be able to be ready. He came and he died in your place and he shed his blood that you might be forgiven of everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do, and then you can live for him and follow the example. Father, God, help us right now to uh, be honest with ourselves and honest before you, not worry about what the people sitting beside of us might think, what anyone else in this building might think. Father, if we need to admit that, that we're struggling with some of the examples that Jesus set, whether it be our prayer life or, or humility or obedience or relational barriers or what, whatever it is, Father, we, we pray you help us. God, we've lost our focus and our, and our purpose and we're living for our own priorities or the priorities of this world instead of your priorities, God, forgive us as believers. And, and God, just help us to confess that to you this morning and, and get back following the example of Jesus. But Lord, especially today, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ as Savior, help them to clearly see that and understand that. Help everyone here to ask themselves honestly, am I ready? And if they don't like the answer that they receive, Father, we pray that you 
Give them an invitation of your grace, an invitation of repentance, an invitation to admit that they've sinned and they, they, they can't change their life themselves. Father, give them an invitation to believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and to receive the life change and the eternal change that you want to bring about in their life. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.